<clears throat> like I said, we are continuing our lessons in Christology. And if you were here last Sunday evening, um, and we've been looking at the resurrection of Christ, this is, I believe, maybe the, the third or fourth, maybe fourth lesson on the resurrection of Christ. And the reason is because uh, there's so many aspects of the resurrection of Christ, very similar to when we consider um, the satisfaction of Christ on the cross. I don't like to use the word atonement, um, more so the satisfaction of Christ or the death of Christ on the cross. There's a lot of um, layers to it. Okay, And last evening, um, we looked at the relationship between the resurrection of Christ and justification. And simply put that when Christ was raised from the dead, it was his justification or vindication. He was first justified or vindicated before his father. Um, his father um, rewarded his son by living a life of perfect obedience or because of living a life of perfect obedience. Um, he rewards him with everlasting new life. With with um, And then we saw that in front of the world, uh, Christ is justified or uh, vindicated. Um, you remember the trial that happened where uh, the people had to pick between two men. It was Barabbas or Christ. And who did they pick? They picked Barabbas. Um, so essentially what we have in the trial of Jesus Christ is an unjust, unfair trial. And we all uh, hate when we hear of unfair, unjust trials. Well, Jesus Christ, out of all the history of men, went through the most um, severe, unjust trial because he wasn't guilty of any crime. But the people of the day thought that he was, and therefore um, they put him to death. So the resurrection of Christ is really God's announcement to the world that Jesus Christ is innocent. And because Christ is raised, and because of his resurrection, there is a justification, there's, a, there's, a, there's an end-time event that happens in the present. Mind you, the justification of man was to happen at the end of the age. And this is the one thing that's got... Um, Paul in trouble a lot with the with the Jews when they when he would say in Romans 8 1 now there is no condemnation in Christ they're going to say well Paul how are you saying now there's no condemnation in Christ as opposed to I mean isn't 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 uh, the condemnation and the judgment um, from God to man to be reserved for the end of the age how can you know that how can you know that now um, and Paul says I know that now because Christ was raised from the dead and when Christ was raised from the dead, it was his justification. And all those who are in Christ don't have to wait till the end of the age to know that they are innocent or guilty before God. But you can know now if you place your faith in Christ. And the same pronouncement of judgment of innocent that was pronounced on Christ over 2,000 years ago is pronounced on you, saints, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you don't have to worry about, am I justified? You don't have to be re-justified. Um, and if you uh, if you lost it, you never had it, <laughs> we want to say. This evening, though, we want to talk about the resurrection of Christ. And um, something that, it, it's honestly, I mean, there's, a, there's a, a wealth of information on this aspect of the resurrection of Christ. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm tr- I tried throughout the week to make this 
uh, as simple as possible because it can get very complicated. Um, but I want to talk about this evening, the resurrection of Christ and the relationship between the resurrection and the new creation. Okay, the resurrection of Christ and its relationship to the new creation. Um, you're going to hear this evening language such as this age and the age that's to come. That's really what's known as two-age theology. So when I say this age, this is what I mean. Think of a time, a time span of when the beginning of the world started and when Christ returns. That's one age, okay? That's one time span. And then the age that's to come is when Christ returns and all eternity. That's the age that's to come. That's the future age, okay? So when I say age that's to come, it's when God created the heavens and the earth. That's when the age of this, this present age began. This present age will end when Christ returns, okay? It will mark a new history. We will call it a heavenly history. And that age will be everlasting, okay? Creation and the new, and, um, this age and the age has to come, two age theology. And what I want you to primarily get from this lesson, I'm just gonna give you, uh, show my cards already, is that Christ's resurrection has brought us into the final or last days. That Christ's resurrection has brought us into the final and last days. Real quick, is anyone cold in here? If anyone's not, okay, because this is coming down, and my hands are already cold, and um, <laughs> so, um, okay, so Christ's resurrection has brought us into the final or last days, okay? And at the same time, this is important, at the same time, inaugurates or begins an entirely new age, okay? I'm going to say that one more time. At Christ's resurrection, he brings about the final or last days, and at the same time, begins this new age that we are longing to be in. We could say that Christ's resurrection begins heavenly history. At one, at, So we could say this. When Christ was raised from the dead, he starts the timer for the end of this age. Okay? And he begins the age that's to come. Okay? There's two things that's going on here. It marks the beginning of this age, and it marks the start of the age that's to come. And what we see is when Christ does this, first and foremost, his humanity is elevated. And one of the reasons why the eternal son became man is that humanity may have their nature elevated to a heavenly mode of existence. And you're going to hear that this evening as well. A heavenly mode of existence. Christ enters via his humanity into that heavenly mode of existence and we will enter into that heavenly mode of existence when we die and are rise again. So again, we can say Christ in his resurrection brings the beginning of the age of this age or the beginning of the end of this age and the beginning of the beginning of the age that's to come. Okay? And this is important, saints, because when we think of, okay, when, when did the last day start? You might think, when Trump was inaugurated or something like that, or I had, I know many people when, um, the World Trade Center went down, everyone thought that's when uh, the book of Revelation opened up and that's when everything began, the last days. And we aren't to think that. 
Um, the last days didn't begin when so-and-so was president. The last days didn't begin when Hitler was doing his thing. Uh, the last days didn't begin, uh, it wasn't brought about through anyone other than Jesus Christ at his resurrection. So when you when someone says we're living in the last days, yes, we are. We've been living in it for the past 2000 years and it started at Christ's resurrection. Okay. And at the same time, the future aid began at Christ's resurrection. The heavenly age began at Christ's resurrection. I just want to do two passages this evening uh, to consider this uh, this this resurrection and its relationship to uh, the new creation. Just two passages. Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 36 say this. Now, some of the Sadducees who maintained that there was no resurrection came to him and they questioned him, saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us. That if a man, a man's brother dies, leaving a wife and he is childless, that his brother is to marry the wife and raise up children for his brother. So then there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and dead, um, died dead, dead childless. And the second and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman also died. Therefore, in the resurrection, which one of uh, which one's wife does the woman become? For all seven married her. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry the women that are given in marriage and those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age. So here we Christ is dealing with this two age. All right. Those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot even die anymore, for they will be like angels and are sons of God, being the sons of the resurrection. So remember, I, I talked about earlier how Christ, when we rise from the dead, he will elevate our nature. Well, Christ just says here, for they will not even die anymore. That's an elevation of nature, right? So here we see in this text, the Sadducees are trying to put Jesus in a trap in regard to the resurrection and marriage. And notice, that Christ doesn't deal with their their uh, their unbelief in the resurrection. He doesn't give them the uh, a fact that the resurrection is going to happen is true, but rather he deals with their wrong interpretation of the nature of the resurrection. Okay, so he's not going to deal with whether the resurrection is going to happen, but rather what's the resurrection like? What is it like? What is it going to be like? Okay, the Sadducees thought that. The way that things are now, this is huge, the way that things are now in this current age are the way that things will be in the future, in the age that's to come. They just said, so this woman has married seven people in in the resurrection. Whom is she going to marry? So they're thinking that what happens here on this age is going to happen in the age that's to come. Essentially, the Sadducees believe that the resurrection is an extension of of this created order. And what Christ teaches them is that the age that's to come is a whole new order of creation. In other words, the things that happen and are done in this age will not be done in the age that's to come. Okay? Jesus says in verse 34 to 36, Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and the women are given in marriage. So in this age, people are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, the age that's to come, 
Neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore. For they are like angels and are the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Essentially, Christ is saying that age has to come, that future age, the age of the resurrection is unlike the order of creation here. The way things are done here is totally different than how things are done now in the present. And he says, for example, there will be no more marriage in the age that's to come. Now, this is um, a point where I remember many times Pastor Antonio will say, well, I'm going to find my wife <laughs> in the new heavens and new earth. And um, I'm sure my wife, who's probably listening, uh, will say, well, I'm going to run away from uh, my husband <laughs> in this age. So I'm longing for the age that's to come. Um, but in the age that's to come, sadly, those who are married, there will be no more marriage. Um, if you are a widow here, you're not going to, in the age to come, remarry and find your spouse. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to hold hands while sitting under the teaching of Paul or something. But but you you won't be married is the point. What's done in the new age will not be done in this age. And think about marriage, friends. The things that I mean, it's the thing that's the most fundamental institution. I mean, marriage was there in creation, in the beginning of creation. And Christ says in the new creation, no more marriage. Now, this doesn't mean that marriage is bad. Um, because, you know, there's no more marriage in the age of the come. doesn't mean that God hates marriage. But marriage serves for a specific purpose, and that is to procreate. But there's not going to be no procreating in the new heavens and new earth in the age that's to come. One of the reasons why there could be no more marriage. But also, too, we can say that the bride will finally be with her husband, Jesus Christ. So along with marriage being abolished, in the new heavens and new earth, in the age that's to come, there will be no more death. There will be no more death. Verse 36, there will be no more death. And that's, and that's to say our finite bodies will transform into a heavenly, everlasting, immutable body. Okay? Our finite bodies that are slowly um, slipping away from us it will transform into a heavenly, everlasting, immutable body. So in the age that's to come, creation takes on a whole new way of existing. And saints, this is how the world was intended to be. Creation as we know it now was never intended to be the same forever. Even in the garden, the order of things in the garden, specifically Adam's finite body, was meant to transform into a heavenly, everlasting body. Theologians would say Adam had an eschatology. That Adam and creation itself was moving upward, or it was intended to. Adam wasn't created in an eternal state, but rather in a temporary mode of being that was meant to transform into an everlasting, unchangeable mode of being. We can say that the man of dust was meant to transform into the man of heaven. That doesn't happen though, right? When Adam said in the garden... He lost that ability to elevate his nature. That's one of the great things that Christ does for us. Is he comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. He takes on a finite body to do what? To elevate us. To bring us into that everlasting mode of being. 
that Adam failed to take a sin. So in summary, the creation, the created order uh, in the beginning was meant to exist just for a time uh, and eventually would give away to an eternal way of living. And in Luke 20, what Christ says is that eternal way of living, uh, that age that's to come begins at the resurrection and marks the beginning of the end of this present age. So that eternal way of living, that, that way of living where we will never die again, it begins when Christ was raised from the dead. And it marks the, the beginning of the end of the way of living that we know it now. Let's consider 1 Corinthians 15, 20, verses 23. We've seen, first off, uh, in Luke 20, the nature of um, how we will be in the new age that's to come, in the age that's to come. Now, and Paul is going to expand more on this theme of what will we be like, verse 20 through 23. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man uh, death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits after those who are uh, at Christ's coming. Here, Paul is speaking of the resurrection. Just like he spoke of uh, justification. He speaks of the resurrection as an end time event that's already begun in the present. An end time event. You see, the Jewish people thought that the resurrection is going to happen at the end of the age. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The resurrection began when Christ rose from the dead. Something that is supposed to happen in the future began in the present. In other words, the resurrection from the dead was meant to be something that began at the end of this present age. And once that resurrection happened, that age would be done away with and the heavenly age would begin. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is saying the age that's to come, this new heavenly age, that is the heavenly everlasting age, has begun in the present. And how do we know that? Because Christ has been raised. Now, notice, saints, the, Paul, the language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 in relation to Christ. He says, but the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Paul uh, characterizes Christ's resurrection from the dead as first fruits. Christ is the first fruits. There's much that we can say about this. But he says again in verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits after that, those who are Christ at his coming. What does Paul mean when he says Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection? What does that mean? Christ is raised from the dead. And by Christ rising from the dead, Paul says he's the first fruits of the resurrection. What does that mean? Well, with one respect, we could say Christ is the first fruits um, of one grand resurrection that will take place at the end of the age. Okay. That Christ is one. Uh, it's, it's a, he's, he's, he's the first of one grand resurrection that will take place at the end of the age. Side note, I, want, I don't want you to think that Christ's resurrection and your resurrection from the dead are two separate events. Christ's resurrection, when he rose 2000 years ago, is the same resurrection, is the same event of your resurrection, whenever your resurrection is. It's one grand harvest. 
And Christ is the first fruit of that one grand harvest. It's not, well, Christ is raised this time. I will be raised at this time. They're two separate events. It's one event. It's just Christ happens to be before ours. So when Christ is raised from the dead, both body and soul, his people will fall after. We can say that that's one way we can consider um, the uh, the first fruits um, imagery that 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 Paul is is bringing to us. Uh, I lost my place in my notes. Give me one second. Okay, so Christ being the first fruits, he's the first to be raised. Now, a question should immediately arise, friends. We should there should be an objection already to this. Notice. I said that Jesus is the first to be raised, both body and soul. But is that true? Is Jesus the first to be raised, body and soul? No, Jesus is not the first to be raised, body and soul. Uh, For example, in the Old Testament, Elijah raised up the Shilamite woman's son from the dead. Um, Christ in his days. Who does he famously raise up? Lazarus. So. If Lazarus was raised, and let's take him as an example, if if Lazarus was raised both body and soul, and Christ was raised both body and soul, but we know that Lazarus was raised before Christ, how is Christ the first fruits and not Lazarus? Doesn't make any sense, right? It I hope you're you're thinking. <laughs> Why isn't Lazarus the first fruits? Since he was raised before Christ. It would make sense, right? Saints, the answer lies not in who was raised first, but the answer lies in what kind of resurrection were the, were the dead raised. Not necessarily who was raised first, but what's the kind of resurrection? In other words, both Lazarus and Christ were raised body and soul. But the difference between these two resurrections is in the kind or nature of the resurrection. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he didn't enter into a new mode of existence. He didn't enter into that heavenly mode of existence. How do I know that? Because one day Lazarus is going to die again. Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead, if you don't know this, didn't go off and living for all eternity. But rather, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, there was a moment in time when Lazarus will die again. So when Lazarus was raised, he didn't enter into a heavenly mode of existence, but rather he returned back to his bodily existence of this age. And saints, what's one of the great features of the age that's to come? How do you know that you're in the age that's to come? You won't die again. But Lazarus died again when he was raised from new life. It was merely that just having life again, but never. But I should say he wasn't raised a new life, but rather he was raised to have life again, but not new life. And saints, this is the great difference between Lazarus resurrection and Christ's resurrection. Two persons, right? Lazarus and Christ both die. Both are raised body and soul. But the difference lies in this, that one was raised never to die again. And the one that was raised never to die again is the one that entered into the age that's to come. He was given a heavenly mode 
of existence. Okay. <clears throat> this is why Christ is said to be the first fruit saints. Jesus Christ is the first fruits because he's the first to enter into that heavenly mode of existence. Again, first fruits because he's the first. We haven't be, we haven't entered into that mode of existence yet. Christ is the first to enter into that mode of existence that we all are longing for. I mean, all of us long uh, to have our heavenly bodies, do we not? Well, Jesus Christ is the first to obtain his heavenly body and the rest will follow after. Now, notice, saints, Christ is the first fruits because he's the first to enter into that heavenly mode of existence. Now, this is important. And notice, not a place, but a new and better way of being. So when we think about the new heavens and the new earth, or rather, when we think about the age as to come, we love to say there'll be no more tears. We'll never die. But we ought to think it's because we're in the new heavens and the earth. That's the reason why there's no more tears. It's not because we're in the new heavens and the new earth that there'll be no more tears. But rather, it's because of who we are. Our nature has been elevated. So when we say there's a place where there's no more tears. Well, yes. But at the same time, you have been elevated. You have taken on a heavenly mode of being. So when we say in the new heavens and the new earth, when we say in the age as to come, there'll be no more death. Again, it's not because of the place that we're living in, but it's because of who we are now. We are, as many have said, we have taken on all of the grace that Christ has in his humanity. Uh, Peter says in Second Peter uh, 1.4 that we are partakers of the divine nature. We are given our new creational bodies that we are longing for. And there will be no more tears, not because of where we're at primarily, but because of what is communicated to us in our being. Because we can't undergo tears. Because we can't undergo pain. Because we can't change. Not because of a place that we're at, but us. Isn't that beautiful? That what we are longing for, I mean, are we longing for the day when we will be better? And Christ says it will happen. The new creation of bodies that we are all longing for began at Christ's resurrection because Christ is the first to receive that new creational body. And what happens with Christ happens with us. The new creation began when Christ rose from the dead. Now, when I say the new creation began, uh, we aren't to think that the world at this very moment is being renewed. So, in other words, we aren't to think that thorns and thistles are now being overturned. That's not what we mean when we say the new creation began. But rather, when we say the new creation began, we are to think about ourselves. The new creation began with Christ and by extension, us. You, saint, are the new creation. You are the new creation. Why? Because you are united to Jesus Christ, who was in that womb. And many theologians love to talk about the tomb as the womb of the new creation. When Christ comes out of the tomb, it is is sort of like a mother giving birth to a new child. He comes out and he enters into this heavenly mode of existence. That's the reason why the, 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 uh, his, um, his, his, the linen that was wrapped around him couldn't be on him anymore. It marks that he is, he's putting away for us the old man. 
And this is why also, one of the reasons why no one could recognize him. I mean, Mary sees him, she thinks that he's the gardener. She doesn't know who he is. We are the new creation because Christ is the new creation. And when we think about the new creation, we, we must not think about God remaking the world in the sense of calming the sea more and more and overturning thorns and thistles, but we are to think about us. I mean, saints, think about yourself and Adam and think about who you are now. You are a new creation, are you not? And it's interesting, isn't it? That at the first creation, in the beginning of Genesis, God created the sea, the land, the plants, and then men and women came after. But in this new creation, as God is currently recreating the world, he's not starting with plants and the sea, but rather he's beginning with us. In the first creation, he began with land, sea, all these other things, and then after came man. But in the new creation, man is first. And what that means is God currently, saint, he's building a civilization. He's building a people. I mean, if you were to start a new world, what, what would you begin with? Well, God says, I'm going to begin with people. And that's what he's done with us. God is currently recreating the world and he's starting with people. God is giving people his spirit and uniting him to his son and we, as we have learned many times from Pastor Antonio and others, he's building the temple of God. Inwardly, we are citizens of the age that's to come. Inwardly, we are there. But outwardly, we are, not there. we are not there yet. We still have a finite body. Inwardly, you're there. Outwardly, we're not there yet. And this is why we must die. Our bodies currently are suited for this age. But the wonderful news, saints, is that at the resurrection, we will be suited with a body that's appropriate for the age that we are living in. I mean, in 1 Corinthians, I don't have time to go through it now, but Paul talks about kinds of bodies. And how whatever context you're in, God gives you a certain body. Well, in the new age, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be suited with a body that's, that's appropriate for the age that we are living in. We are in the new heavens and the new earth, therefore we will have a heavenly body. It's no use for us to have this earthly body, but our nature will be elevated and be better. This is what, um, this is what the Apostle Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 15, 49, when he said, just as we bore the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Right now, in this age, you bear the image of Adam in sense of finite body but the age that's to come you will bear the image of the man of heaven that is a heavenly body a heavenly mode of existence so in summary friends when christ was raised from the dead the age that's to come began and this marked the beginning of the age that we are currently living in christ is the first fruits to be raised which means when christ was raised from the dead um his body took on a heavenly mode of existence he was unable to undergo death again. This means that Christ is the first fruits of one grand resurrectional harvest. He's one. He's the first fruits of one grand resurrectional harvest. And saints, as we come to a close, this is great news for us. 
This is exciting news for us. Because we have not only a sweet uh, future promise for us, but even in light of all the craziness in the world that's happening today, we can be assured that the end of all things are literally upon us. The end of all things are literally upon us and the beginning of the eternal kingdom is decisively in place. The beginning of the eternal kingdom has begun in this present age. It's as if the age that's to come when Christ was raised intruded into the present age. And now we saints are living in this middle We are living in the present age, but also in the age that's to come, because the age that's to come began when Christ was raised. This is wonderful news for us, saints. When we think about the new heavens and the new earth, and when we think about what it will be like, as far as how it will be, you know, what will we see, for instance? What will we do? But saints, we are to think of the new heavens and new earth and the age that's to come in terms of what we will be like. We all the time say, all the time we say that we are going to be like Christ. But saints, when we, when we finally get there, when our, when our bodies are raised with our souls, then we will really be like Christ. As the apostle Paul said, we will take on the image of the man of heaven. So, saints, we are not to fear about what's going to happen in the future because the future has begun in the present. And it began when Christ was rose from the dead. Last thing I'm going to say is I know it's kind of twilight zone-ish when we think about our bodies will be raised with our souls. We can't imagine something like that, right? But, saints, we know it will come, first and foremost, because God's word says that it will but also Jesus Christ was the first to undergo the same resurrection that we will undergo. And we know it's going to happen to us because Christ's resurrection is not different from ours. It's one grand harvest. And currently God is recreating the world, but he's starting with us. He's starting with image bearers. So let's pray.